Welcome to Bloody Mary's, a queer horror movie podcast. This episode, we're talking about Psycho. I'm Pazuzu, nice to meet you, Alex. And I'm Annie Wilkes, hobbling you with a hammer, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We are two queer housemates and nerds and horror fans, and we live together in Hackney, and our pronouns are they, them. Uh, Some content notes for this episode. Uh, We'll be talking about some trans stuff, and this film could be read as quite transphobic, so we'll be talking about that. Uh, We'll also be talking about murder and violence. Um, We'll be swearing, and there will be huge spoilers, like, from the offset. The biggest ones. The biggest ones. (laughs) (laughs) So make sure you watch the film first. Psycho uh, came out in 1960. It was directed by Alfred Hitchcock and was based on a book by Robert Bloch uh, from 1959, uh, which is of the same name. Um, Hitchcock became aware of the book uh, because his assistant, Peggy Robinson, uh, recommended the book to, to him. And he, uh, he loved it. He bought the rights for it. And he also bought all of the copies of the book. To prevent anyone reading it and getting any spoilers. Wild. <laughs> <laughs> that is wild. Um, the uh, executives at Paramount uh, weren't really on board with anything about the film. <laughs> uh, so Hitchcock offered to fund it himself and take a, fi- a 60% stake in the film rather than his usual director's fee, which ended up getting him a lot more money than he would normally have got yeah. because it was kind of a sleeper runaway sensation. Sleep and a runaway. Indeed. Um, <laughs> Uh, because he wanted to cost, co- co- that's easy for me to say, cot, cot. He was just to cock it. Because he was just after cot. Let me see that again. Um, because he was cock. <laughs> because he was eager to cost. <laughs> he was eager to cut costs. Oh yeah. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Um, off to a flying start here. Um, he um, he filmed the film in black and white, and uh, part of this was to save on money, to save on cock. Part of this was because he was really inspired by Les Diaboliques, which we watched oh, recently. Yes. Um, and also because he thought that it would help to avoid gore if right. it was in black and white. Um, for the blood in the very famous, perhaps the most well-known scene from any horror film, the shower scene, um, chocolate syrup was used in lieu of uh, sort of fake blood because the colour was more stood out more in black and white film. Um, uh, after the film was released, he released... He, he, God, I can't speak. <laughs> he released his cock. <laughs> after the film, <clears throat> he received an angry letter from a father who'd said that having seen Les Diaboliques, his daughter became scared of having a bath. And after seeing Psycho, she became scared of having a shower. <laughs> so he apparently just replied saying, send her to the dry cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> So Janet Lee, who played Marion, uh, apparently she was uh, so she was the only like big name actress in this, um, mm. in order to keep the costs down, and um, she she was only filming for three weeks, and one of those weeks was the shower scene, 
Um, so a lot of time and energy went into that scene, uh, including like the effects of looking up at the shower head. There were various kind of technical ways around that. Yeah. Um, but she said that she didn't find it a traumatic scene to film, but she um, she realised on watching the finished version how um, how vulnerable a woman is in the shower. Mm. And apparently from that point on, she only ever had baths until her dying day. Wow. Yeah. It's very extra. <laughs> I know. Um, Interestingly, it was also the first US film to show a flushing toilet on screen, which is when she flushes away all of her ripped up mathematics. Yes. Um, So the original novel, also called Psycho, was loosely inspired by the killer Ed Gein. Um, Ed Gein also was the inspiration, or one of the inspirations behind the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Gein. Gein. What did I say? Gein. Gein. I don't know who knows. Gein. No, it's Gein. You're right. Gein. <laughs> Gein Bean. Um, so, it was inspired by killer Ed Gein. Gein. <laughs> um, so, Ed Gein um, was, yeah, he, uh, I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a more explicit uh, kind of inspiration from him. Right. But the story of Ed Gein, did we agree on Gein? Yes. Gein. Okay. Um... So there are some differences here. So uh, Ed Gein was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, Through a contemporary lens, uh, Norman Bates has dissociative identity disorder, uh, which is sometimes problematically referred to as split personalities. Um, And he also uh, engaged in necrophilia, cannibalism, wearing the skin of his victims over his own and turning body parts into furniture. Um, so he had an, uh, a sofa that was upholstered with human skin. Beautiful. He made soup bowls out of skulls. Um, in the book, um, Norman is very explicitly a transvestite. Oh. Um, uh, it's been argued that Ed Gein... Gein, Gein motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Gein. Uh, has, it's been argued that Ed Gein was transgender. Oh, because um, <clears throat> all I knew was that his mother forced him to dress up as a girl when he was little. I didn't know that he carried on. Yes, or... um, it seems like he was dysphoric. Right. Um, and uh, the one of the key changes to the plot is at the end, it's very emphatically stated that Norman isn't a transvestite, as they say. Right. And is uh, it's it's his other personality. Sure. Um, so, uh, but there's there's a reason behind this. So the um, the censors did want to remove the word transvestite completely mm. from the end scene, um, but they proved that it they, well they had to prove that it was a clinical term, which is why he offers quite a clinical response. He's like, no, he's not transvestite. A transvestite is, and then gives kind of an explanation about the you know people who get some sort of sexual arousal from yeah. dressing as a woman. Anthony Perkins has an interesting little queer story. So he plays Norman Bates. He's such a cutie. So he died in 1992 of an AIDS-related illness. Um, He was married uh, to a woman called Barry Berenson. What? Is that Uh, real? Well, it does look like I've made it up, but maybe I just can't read my handwriting. No, it's Barry (laughs) Berenson. Very, very, very. (laughs) She was very nice. (laughs) Um, um, So uh, they. uh, So apparently, up until the age of thirty-nine, Anthony Perkins had only had relationships with men, including the movie heartthrob Tab Hunter. Oh. Um, 
and uh, but then he he married Barry, uh, so I guess we could say he was bi. Um, bisexual, yes. yes. Um, and a day before the ninth anniversary of his death, his wife died on American Airlines Flight 11, which was which hit the North Tower in the World Trade Center. What? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so, an interesting thing, which only struck me as interesting as the film progressed when we've just watched it, um, is thinking about the impact that the Hayes Code had on this film. Right. Are you familiar with the Hayes Code? It rings a bell. So, we've definitely spoken about it before, but it was basically like a ruling. It was kind of like a censorship uh, ruling over what films were allowed to show. And it lasted from the 30s up until 1968. And this film came out in 1960. So I was interested, especially during the scene where, after the shower murder scene, when... Norman is cleaning up quite meticulously. It's quite a long scene where nothing happens apart yeah, from him yeah. just cleaning up. And I was surprised that that was allowed to be shown, given what I know about the Hayes Code. But I'll tell you what the rules were anyway. So the rules included... Um, so crime and immorality could never be portrayed in a positive light. Um, so it meant that if someone did something bad or immoral, they had to be punished for it in some way. So oh. they had to have some sort of justice. And this actually impacts one of your favourite films and one of my favourite films. So in Rebecca, um, which is also an Alfred Hitchcock film, um, they had to change the ending completely because in the book, uh, Maxim de Winter murders Rebecca. In the film, Maxim de Winter is having an argument with Rebecca and she falls over and accidentally kills herself. Mm. Uh, or accidentally dies, rather. So, um, And that was because they didn't want him to have to be punished at the end. Right. And apparently in The Bad Seed... <gasps> Uh, which is one of your favourites. Um, So that was apparently also based on a novel and had been a stage play. Yeah. Uh, So they changed the ending there. So it says here, uh, Christine gives an overdose of sleeping pills to her dangerous sociopathic daughter Rhoda and Christine shoots herself, but Rhoda survives with the implication she will kill again. So that's what happens in the novel. In the film, Christine survives the suicide attempt, but uh, Rhoda is hit by a lightning or yeah, a tree or something yeah so so basically there's a whole like like three decades worth of films that have these really improbable sort of rushed or edited moments that kind of but the people that were impacted most by this by the rules tended to be women people of color and queers um right. so some of the other rules were um let me see um so they, films could only pr- present correct standards of life, which is pretty vague, but it meant that lots of people, lots of filmmakers um, kind of shied away from uh, showing poverty in any way because that wasn't seen as like the ideal way of living. Um, the law, so in the films, the law had to be respected and upheld. Right. And if it wasn't, they had to be punished. Um, nudity and overt portrayals and references to sexual behaviour uh, even between consenting adults, could not be shown. Yeah. And again, at the beginning of this, there's the suggestion that they've just had sex, because that's how yeah. it begins. Um, the, uh, these these rules also impacted cartoons as well. So it was like anything that was... Uh... Sexy, murderous <clears throat> cartoons. Yeah. Um, but things like uh, Roadrunner would always come into kind of... You know, like, because he's yeah, always... Yeah, he gets away with it. Uh, yes, always, like, dropping anvils and yeah. stuff. Yeah, so but it was always on on the keen eye of the uh, oh. of the censors. Uh, so religion could never be depicted in a mocking manner, which meant with lots of like with lots of these things, people just didn't show religion at all. Yeah, in order to avoid it. Um, uh, 
people like policemen and lawyers and priests and people who were thought to be kind of upholding morals were not allowed to be shown to be bad people mm. unless it was really explicit that they were like uh, an exception to the rule. Um, drug use and alcohol consumption, unless there was punishment related to it, weren't supposed to be shown. Um, revenge wasn't allowed to be a, a theme in a film. Um, and then perverse topics, this is the most interesting one, when, could not be discussed or depicted in any way. And the main ones about these were homosexuality and uh, inter- interracial relationships. And as a way around that, much like with the religion thing, where it was like, well, it's easy just not to show it, just in case we run into the censors, it basically meant that for 30 years, there weren't really many people of colour cast to try and avoid these sort of rules. So yeah, it was basically this thing that... um, But the one that struck me as most interesting uh, in this one... Oh, so another one is sanctity of marriage had to be upheld. They were very, like, Christian in their ethos. Uh, Blasphemy wasn't allowed to be shown. Um, the United States flag was supposed to be treated with respect. Like, it, it, I mean, it's bonkers, but um, yeah, yeah. but the um, the most weird one is you. They, they had very strict rules about showing like detailed, uh, kind of imitable uh, processes around crimes, so things that someone could watch and copy from. Right. So, like, you couldn't show someone picking a lock. You couldn't show someone uh, mixing a poison. Anything that they could then go and do themselves, <clears throat> which made me, I mean, obviously people know how to clean a bathroom, but it was, the, but like watching this, that scene in Psycho just made me think like, this is a very long drawn out process of him hiding a body. Yeah. And obviously he does get, the, you know, justice is served in inverted commas at the end. Yeah. But I, I think it's interesting. I, I wonder how closely this film flirted with those rules. Yeah, especially at the beginning, because they've definitely been having sex, because they're, like, getting dressed and they're in a hotel room. It's like, what else would they have been doing? Yeah, yeah. exactly. And Alfred Hitchcock very uh, purposefully cast the man who played Sam, who was known for being, like, a kind of beefcake, right. because he wanted it to be, like, a sexy scene. And it, that's oh. how, how the film starts. Um, so yes, uh, that's all I had to say about the film for now. Great, beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. So as previously alluded to, Illusion. the um, the film begins with a, a lover's tryst between uh, Marion, who is initially the main character, Yes. Um, and her boyfriend, Sam. So he is in... They're very obviously just engaged in coitus. Mm, um, obviously. And obviously. And uh, he... We find out that he is uh, is paying alimony. Yes. And she is unmarried, never been married. Very much wants to marry him. But, uh, but he is worried that until his wife gets... His ex-wife gets remarried he will still continue to be broke and won't be able to support her mm. in that way. And then um, she then goes to her place of work, which I guess we can assume is like a real estate place. Yeah, I think so. Um, and she has a chinwag with her colleague, who's quite an iconic character. She is. Um, she has some funny moans. And her boss comes in, and uh, there's a man there who is buying a house with cash yeah. for his daughter. Yes. Um, and he's a bit sleazy, flirty with uh, Marion. Yeah. And the boss 
who kind of takes him into a back room to seal the deal, as it were. <laughs> sounds sexy that it is, uh, to sign some paperwork. Um, uh, is a bit uncomfortable with having that much cash on yeah. on the premises. So he asks uh, Marion to take it straight to the bank. And she says, yes, I'll do that. She wraps it up in an envelope, puts it in a white handbag. Yes. Which is relevant. Um, yes, yes. And uh, and then says, "I'm gonna uh, just go home after this. It's Friday. We know. I've got, I've got a bit of a headache." Yes. Um, so she leaves with it, and the next we see of her, she it's lying. The the package is lying on her bed, and she's changed into a black bra and a black handbag, which apparently symbolises the naughtiness. the naughtiness from kind of purity to evil. Um, and she's obviously a bit torn about what to do with this money. Um, but it seems like she's also kind of made up her mind. Yeah, she's told that she has really made <laughs> But she's fine. So she packs a suitcase and she hops in a car. Hits the road. And uh, we see her driving. And she uh, she drives for a long, long time. She's She's kind of playing over conversations in her head. And you kind of hear conversations that others are having. Yeah. While she's driving. So you hear them saying... Uh, Oh, because uh, she stops at a zebra crossing and she sees her boss and her boss kind of smiles at her and then kind of scowls when realising that... like, huh, what about that headache? Yeah, madam. Madam. (laughs) Um, So she, you then hear the conversations while it's focused on her um, as she's driving and the conversations are between her boss... And her colleague who is saying, you know, she's not come in. Uh, I haven't heard from her. I'm sure, you know. And then conversation with the her sister, yeah, uh, who hasn't heard from her, is starting to get a bit worried. worried. And from the man who bought the house, yeah, um, saying, you know, where's my money? Where's my money? Um, and she uh, she starts to get drowsy. It's night time. She's driving, so she pulls over and has a little nap. The nap turns into a, a, a full-blown full overnight sleep. Crazy. And she is roused the following morn um, by a policeman. A tap-tap-tap who, who does the rat-a-tat on her window. Yes. Um, and she um, she's just like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I, I, I just meant to uh, take a little nap. I didn't mean to sleep so long. I must rush. And he's a bit suspicious about her. Uh, um, asked to see her license. She kind of surreptitiously removes it from a bag without taking out the big wad of cash. Yeah. Um, he follows her for a little while and she starts to get a bit anxious. And then yeah. um, it's basically just a series of her making very silly decisions at this stage. It is, yeah. <clears throat> because she then... she's He's following her for a while, but then he takes a turn um, and she thinks for she's... Worse. For the worse. And <laughs> she thinks she takes a turn for the worse. She does. And she thinks she's all in the clear now. But because he's got her license number, she drives into a used car place to trade her car for a new one. Yeah. And to pay with cash the excess of £700. However, she starts making this transaction when the policeman has found her and is kind of pulled up on the other yeah, side of the road like and is just watching. staring at the whole thing happening. <laughs> yeah, so she she um, she makes the change. The man at the, the car dealership is kind of like, are you sure you don't want to take it for a test drive? You know, this is a lot of money to pay in cash straight away. You know, do you want to yeah. think about it? Um, but she, she zooms off, almost forgetting her bag and her coat. Yeah. Um, and then as she's driving off again, we hear 
uh, the voice of the policeman having a conversation with the car dealers um, who were just like, oh, she seemed in an awful hurry. Um, yeah, and she didn't seem like a wrong one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, uh, so she uh, she continues to drive anyway. Um, and then, it's interesting actually, because that's such a big thing of it, but then we never actually hear from that policeman no, again, no, do even we? even though it's such a huge mistake, that never actually comes up in the film. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then she's driving, and the rain is super, super heavy. She can barely see uh, the cars in front of her. And she, uh, she pulls into Bates Motor. So um, she, uh, she turns up. This motel looks very, very empty because it's, it's empty. empty. <laughs> um, and it's overlooked by this very beautiful kind of gothic mansion um, that's kind of uh, up on a little hill. Um, and when, uh, when she first looks up, she sees uh, what looks like an old woman walking past the window. Perhaps, perhaps yes. an old woman. <laughs> um, and she beeps the horn to get the attention. And a very young, dashing, awkward lithe young man (laughs) comes trotting out (laughs) Uh, and they go into the office together she gives a fake name yes Uh, so she goes by maria and uses the name samuel which is her boyfriend's first name um and um she uh she he takes her to room number one yeah which is rather nice for a motel room i think um I, i like the 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 bird pictures yes and yes. the bedspread absolutely um so she bundles um she bundles the money inside of a newspaper that she picked up at the car dealership yeah um and kind of places it on the the table at the side um he asks if cuz she she says she's very hungry she's very tired and he says there's a diner 10 miles away and she doesn't seem like she can be, really be asked. No, so he doesn't. says, I can bring you some food. Oh no, we can eat together if we you want can, to join me. And we can have some sandwiches and milk in the parlour. Yeah, <laughs> milk and sandwiches. <clears throat> so he goes back to, and he says, I'll come and get you when it's ready. Um, and she kind of potters around and she hears him and his mother arguing in the house. This and is so she's... crazy. I was thinking because this, the house is so far away. <laughs> It's so crystal clear how she can hear the whole conversation. <laughs> well, anyway. I mean, it's off the main highway, so maybe it's maybe, very quiet there and, and sound really travels downhill, maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, but the mother's saying, like, you know, what is she... I can't remember what she's, she's saying. She's saying, like, she's saying, like, she's kind of implying she's a whore. And, like, she's yeah. Like, yeah like, and she's kind of sounds a bit jealous. Yeah, um, angry and jealous. And, like, she's not eating in my house, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, so he comes down and brings the sandwich to her. And big she, she a big jug of milk. yeah, and she's very, uh, she's very understanding. He says that his mother um, is not feeling herself at the moment, <laughs> um, and hasn't been for ten years, maybe. <laughs> um, and then uh, they go into the. He's very uncomfortable about the idea of eating in her bedroom. Yeah. Um, so they go Improper. into the little parlor that's behind the office. And it's filled with uh, stuffed birds. Burbs. A big owl burb. There's two b- uh, owl burbs and uh, some other burbs. A raven burb. Yeah, um, burbs. And uh, they talk about uh, his hobby, which is uh, taxidermy, uh, stuffing birds. Um, and so he, um, he makes a comment about her eating like a bird. 
Yeah, a verb. Uh, a verb. <laughs> yeah. as, uh, as she's nibbling on the dry looking sandwich yeah. next to the jug of milk yeah. disgusting dip in the sandwich <laughs> <into> the <milk. laughs> um, so she's eating the milky sandwiches like a verb yeah. and, um, and apparently there's lots of references to birds in this film and people think that it was uh, Alfred Hitchcock's way of saying my next film is called The Burbs also The Burbs <laughs> <laughs> um, so um so Norman tells the story of uh, kind of what happened to him. So he, his dad died when he was five. His, uh, his mum got with a new man who bought the motel. Is that right? I don't remember actually this conversation in detail. <laughs> so, so the motel used to be on the main highway. Yes. But they've since built a new highway so that they are a bit off the beaten track, which is why they have very rarely have any visitors. Yeah. Um, so it becomes very, very clear that he's a bit of a hermit. Um, they kind of talk about their hopes and dreams mm. um, and talking about how they're, they're uh, he talks about how I think we're all just trapped in our own kind of personal ways. Yeah. And during this conversation, um, she obviously has this kind of change of heart where she's like, okay, I can get myself out of this trouble now. Um, I don't need to be in this situation. So her plan then changes where she decides that the following day she's going to drive back to Phoenix, yeah, which is where she's come from, and try and resolve the situation. So hand over the money, although not all of it, because she paid 700 she quid on her. new car. Yeah, Angela paid $10 for a, a stay at the yeah, yeah. Bates Yeah. Um, so then she, uh, she goes into her, um, uh, into her room, but it just before that, she... I don't know why she even says her own name, but she actually lets up her real name, which makes him realise that, that that she's actually sort of hiding and that maybe nobody's looking mm. for her or something. Um, and so, yeah, like, basically he realises that she's a bit more vulnerable than she seems. Mm. Oh, I didn't really pick up on that. Yeah. Um, so she goes back into her room. Um, she had previously done some sort of... But number yeah, crunching she's about mathematics. And she rips that up, flushes it down the toilet, the first ever flush on TV. Oh, oh no, so. um, <laughs> such a best flushing toilet scene I've ever gr- seen. Gra- groundbreaking <laughs> moment. Um, groundbreaking. So, um, so she then goes into the shower, and you think it's the first shower she's ever had because she looks like she is living yeah, for it. Yeah, she looks like she's having quite a sensual moment with the water. Yes, uh, a look of some glee on her face. Some glee. A shadowy figure appears behind the curtain and pulls it back. It looks like they have sort of quite shapely uh, bulbous hair. Yes, that's um, the first thing I noticed. And then comes the kind of iconic stabbing scene, which even if you haven't seen the film, you will have seen this film. Um, so apparently this scene... There are like ninety different uh, like cuts oh. in it because it happens so quickly, um, and she was she had a body double for part of it apparently, but for most of it she was just wearing kind of like nude uh, nude illusion um, sort of oh, uh, stuff and things covering her kind of nipples. Like see the blurry nudity like a little bit, which I yeah. thought was quite startling. And there's one bit where you see, so you don't. There's only one tiny quick flash where you see the knife make any contact with the flesh and the, and it's kind of on her belly yeah and the way it was done apparently was it was just a knife was very lightly pressed against her skin so that it made like a little impression and then they play that bit backwards 
Oh. Um, or something like that. Oh. Um, but yeah, it's a very iconic scene. Um, yeah. And uh, she, uh, at the end of this stabbing frenzy, she grabs the uh, shower curtain, pulls yeah. it down, falls on the floor. Um, we later, shortly later, shortly see, later now, see, uh, <laughs> see Norman or hear Norman in the house seeing his mother apparently yes. going oh blood 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 oh, what blood, have you done mother blood mother blood and then he runs uh, to room 1 um and finds um uh marion's body forlorn corpse of marion indeed um forlorn of the dead <laughs> um, and um i was surprised actually that i think it's a really weird kind of uh like it goes against kind of horror convention in that you become invested in an uh, in a protagonist mm. and an hour into a two hour film they're killed um and yeah. all of a sudden the focus f- switches onto who is it turns out is the antagonist right, right. i think that's quite unusual because you, i never felt as invested in the sister and the boyfriend as i was in the original that's true yeah woman you make a great point. I was thinking any other time I could think it's not really the same because it's like split by a few minutes, but Drew Barrymore and Scream, obviously. Well, I, I think there's a reasonable parallel to be drawn there, mm-hmm. even though obviously there's about 59 minutes <laughs> difference, <laughs> is that um, uh, Drew Barrymore was kind of marketed as being in the film. Right, right. And isn't really the main part of it. And I guess it's the same sort of thing that just happens. She was the most well-known figure, or the only well-known figure, I think, yeah. in the film. Um, <clears throat> uh, the uh, And the interesting thing is, apparently, it's about half an hour into the film before we meet uh, Norman Bates for the first time. And an hour before we see, before we meet the sister character, who then becomes kind of like the the main driving force behind it after that. So I think, I think it's funny the way it kind of plays with uh, those sort of things. Um, so, um, we then watch a very kind of drawn out scene of, um, Scrub it of Norman kind of cleaning up. And I guess as a first time viewer, you might, you might be led to believe that he's kind of maybe cleaned up for his mother before, because he's very kind of efficient. Yeah. He uh, yeah. So cleans it, makes it spotless, uh, wraps up, uh, her body in the, um, shower curtain yes. puts her in the boot of her car dry puts her bag and her all of objet d'art including the newspaper Monet. with the Manean, um and he uh, he kind of uh, makes the car drive into the I don't know I don't understand cars well enough does he, does he put something on <laughs> a pedal the car move. does he put something I on the pedal neutral he puts it in neutral and then pushes it into the <laughs> To the gloopy, gloopy puddle. Yes. <laughs> um, yes, I know what a cars are. Gloopy, gloopy A week later uh, is the next thing that we see. We're introduced to Marion's sister, uh, Lila, who is very concerned about uh, Marion's whereabouts. She's obviously heard from work that she's taken the, this money. Um, and um, she... Actually, I'm just thinking here. What? Oh, okay. I'm just trying to figure this out. So she confronts Sam saying, if you're in it together, I don't mind. It's none of my business, but I need her to tell me it's none of my business. I need to see that she's okay. Yeah. Um, and while they're having this conversation in the kind of workshop thing that Sam works in, 
Yeah. Um, it's, it's a shop. Yeah. Oh, it's a shop. We're introduced to a character called uh, Private Inspector Abagast. Abagast. Flabagasted <laughs> Abagast. Um, and because I'm thinking, who employed him? The the, um, the, the man who gave the money. Yeah. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so he's a private investigator and he's like, maybe the three of us could be having this conversation um, so they kind of they kind of work in cahoots because they all want to find yeah they um, all squad yeah uh, briefly briefly um, so um, uh, that Sam assumes that she was driving she would have driven with the money towards him yes so along that route Abagast uh, looks at all of the local motels and comes across the Bates Motel yes and he. Uh, he chats to Norman, who yes. doesn't really do himself any favours here. He, yeah, he's um, like, I don't see them. So he I says, them. he says, there's been no one there for a few weeks. Then he accidentally mentions that someone has been there recently. He looks at the picture, says he doesn't recognise her. He asks that uh, Abagast asks to look at the book that she signed in on. Sees a fake name, has a sample of her handwriting, sees that it's the same handwriting, yeah. shows the picture again, and he's like. Oh yes, I did see her, but yeah. she looked different because she had wet hair. And this is a terrible picture. Yeah, <laughs> and then he also remembers that he made her a sandwich and she ate it in the room with yeah. him, <laughs> and that she was planning on going back home the next day. Yeah. Um, he so Ab- Ab- Abagast then calls uh, the Scooby Gang. Oh, because um, Norman makes some reference to Marion having interacted with his mother at some sort at some point right yes that's right. and then abagast is like can i speak to your mother and he says no she's she's very unwell absolutely not um, she's unwell she and won't he, see you right now yes and there's an interesting line where he says i thought you said you lived alone and she said he says well she's an invalid so it's very much like living alone um and then so he refuses to let uh, abagast see his mother um, for obvious reasons, in yeah. hindsight. Um, and uh, Abagast rings uh, Sam and Lila and says, I-, I found that she definitely came to this motel, she said she was turning around, but I'm not satisfied that I've got all the information I need, so I'm going to go and try and speak to this uh, this invalid mother. Is mysterious um, invalid mother. Yes. Um, and uh, so he goes into the, after he's been on the phone, he says, oh, I'll, I'll be... I'll I'll phone back or I'll be back uh, within an hour um, once I've spoken to this mother. So he helps himself into the base house and as he's approaching the top of the stairs, her bedroom door creaks open very, very slowly and then all of a sudden what appears to be Norman's mother comes barging out with a knife, stabs him at the top of the stairs and he kind of very slowly steps weird, back down like, the yeah, stairs. Like we're flying back down the stairs moment. <laughs> yes. So Lila and Sam uh, are concerned, especially Lila, when she doesn't hear from Abagast. So um, she convinced them that they should go to the motel. Sam says, he'll go, you wait here, blah, blah, blah. Um, So Sam gets there, sees a figure in the house um, who he thinks is Mrs. Bates, um, and he knocks, but she ignores. Um, (laughs) She blocks. So when she comes back, uh, they decide to visit the local deputy sheriff who uh, who they wake up yes, uh, because it's night time and he has a very adorable wife. His who wife is, is hilarious. very funny, lots of funny lines. Um, and uh, she 
from he, uh, they explain what's happened. They explain why they haven't told the police about the money being stolen because they feel like they could maybe convince her to give it back. Um, and he says, "Okay, that explains why they've got a private investigator." But he says, he plants a seed in their mind that maybe the private investigator's done a runner with the money. Mm. Um, so um, they say we can call Norman um, and see that everything's okay. What's but um, and they're like, "Oh yes," because they say Abagast went to visit his mother and the deputy policeman is saying well they'll have a they'll have trouble because she's been dead for 10 years um she's buried in the cemetery um and he tells them that his his mother died in a murder suicide where she poisoned the man that she was living with yes. with strychnine and then poisoned herself yes. as well a terrible way to go a terrible that's the agatha christie uh poison isn't it is it I think it's strychnine that's always in Agatha Christie. Maybe okay. it's not, but it, I, I, or maybe it's just I just know it from true crime. <laughs> but interestingly, actually, considering we just to jump ahead, but considerably here, considering it's a, so we find out at the end. Well, rather, no, obviously I will go back and recap. But so no, no. Anyway, to cut a long story short, Norman killed them. Um, so Norman poisoned them. But it's funny because poison is always seen as being like a very... It, basically, Ladies that's how women murder people, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so anyway, we find out that they died. So they're like, they're like... And Sam's like, well, I saw a woman through uh, the window. I'm not one for flights of fancy. No, so, um n- No. Um, beefcake, no flights of fancy. <laughs> um, and they're like, well, if... If she's alive, then who's buried in the cemetery? Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. Um, so, um, uh, the sheriff calls Norman. Uh, Norman um, uh, is just says exactly what he told the police. Yeah. Um, the private investigator. And then um, Lila and Sam decide to drive to the motel because they think there's more to it. Um, Norman uh, carries his mother with her great protestations <laughs> yeah, she's uh, down to the fruit cellar um, where she says, uh, what does she say? Um, she says, you, you want to, you're not putting me in the fruit cellar. You think I'm fruity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she also says, you've put me in there before, yes. which comes back around again. Um, so, uh, Sam and Lila uh, arrive at the motel, and they pretend to be a married couple. They do. So, they are taken to room 10. They know from Abagast, from when he rang earlier, that uh, that Marion was in room 1. So, they hatch a little plan to go a-snooping. Go um, a-snooping. And a-snooping they do. So, they have a look around the room. The only thing they find of any interest is a tiny bit of shredded paper that didn't successfully flush, um, which... Uh, gives them enough knowledge to know that she she'd written something to yes. do with the money. I think it's funny because it's like such a tiny scrap paper. And she's like, "Oh, it says forty thousand minus an amount here." Yeah, like, what? <laughs> yeah, she uh, she she writes with a a, a mini pen. Yeah. Um, um, so they then assume that Norman must have somehow got the money from her. Because why else would a man want to live in this failing business? He must have tried to get money so he could buy a new motel or he could move away or something. That's their theory anyway. So they come up with a plan that Sam will distract Norman by saying that Lila is sleeping Mm -hmm. while she goes into the house to have a look around. So um, 
So she goes and poodles around the upstairs rooms. Mrs. Bates, Mrs. Bates. Yeah. Um, which it's such a beautiful house, isn't it? Oh, so I cool. love it. And then um, Sam is getting increasingly meaner to Norman. Um, yeah, it's like he's like bullying him. But it's also like kind of a bit flirty, I think. <laughs> it is a bit, but it's, I think, like, um, I think it's Norman's like kind of natural kind of like effeminacy yeah, that, like and coquettishness yeah and he's also and he always kind of like a little uncomfortable laugh when he's being like confronted about something yeah. he's just got such a beautiful I love him yeah I love him he's got beautiful man. little dimples and that little muscle that twitches on his uh, like kind of on his jawline yeah oh Fox who? Fox Mulder. Oh, I thought you said it was called a Fox Mulder. <laughs> oh, you mean the Fox Mulder muscle? Yes, it always twitches when yes, he's when yeah. he's excited. <laughs> oh, do, uh, is that your Fox Mulder twitching, or are you just happy to see me? You've agitated my Fox Mulder. <laughs> um, he's come down with a terrible case of the Fox Mulder twitches. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, I also think he's got, like, such a kind of, uh, like, a, a kind of wiry frame compared to Sam. Yeah. That there's, like, there is a weird kind of, like, bullying kind of uh, dynamic to it. Yeah. Um, and also, you do feel sorry for Norman Bates almost the whole way through. Yeah, I wonder if everyone does or it's just because we're a bit twisted. Well, I think you're supposed to because you're supposed to think that he is kind of at the behest of his oh, uh, domineering mother. Murderous. Yeah. Um, and that he's just kind of like desperately trying to clean up after her mess. Right. So, yeah, I think you are supposed to. Oh, uh, yeah. And also, so actually here's another thing. In the book uh, of the same name, uh, the character of Norman was kind of middle-aged... Uh, very uh, unappealing looking and uh, not very pleasant. And that was one of the main changes was to make him like very sympathetic and likeable by casting someone that was only in his 20s who was very, very nice to look at and who was actually really kind of like awkward and like... Yeah, cute. So he's kind of like getting quite kind of aggressive with him thinking that he's taken the money um, Norman, I think, is especially confused because he actually doesn't know anything about the money, does he? No, he doesn't know um, anything. No. And then um, uh, he's just like, oh my God, where's uh, where's Lila? Because he realises that this is a setup so that she could go and confront the mother. Yeah, because he mentioned something about the mum and he's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so he, um, he manages to bash Sam over the head with a little vase of some sort. Yeah, um, And runs towards the house. Um... Lila sees him approaching and retreats down the stairs to the fruity cellar. The fruity cellar! Um, and then, as she's about to tiptoe out and leave, once he passes, um, she notices... What does she see through the door? I think she just sees their stuff, and so probably just gets an idea that there might be something down there. Yeah, so she... So she or maybe there's a light on or something, I don't yeah. know, it's not clear. But she goes into there, and then she sees, sitting in the corner, an old woman with her back to her. Yes. And this is another scene that you may well have seen, even if you haven't seen the film. Um, scene, 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 scene. Um, such as this iconicity. Um, <laughs> um, and she goes up to her, she puts a hand on her shoulder, the, uh, the, the woman spins round and it turns out that it's actually just a sort of decaying skeleton. Reveal! With hair and a dress. Yeah, beautiful. Um, so, um, stunning. Um, and she screams, uh, as you might. And in... knocks the light bulb and it goes all flying all around yes. the place. And then, all of a sudden, we see um, 
uh, Norman, dressed as his mother. Yes. Uh, kind of maniacally coming towards her with a knife. Yeah. But Sam, who's obviously come round from his vase... Incident. Head gate. <laughs> uh, grabs him from behind, kind of wrestles him down to the ground. And then we end in a police station. Yeah. Where uh, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't speak to any of the police there. Yeah. But he speaks to uh, psychiatrist. the psychiatrist. This scene, I really didn't like this end no, scene. No, I think he's really cheesy, the psychiatrist. It is. It feels like, you know, like in a really, che- like in a really kind of cheesy murder mystery, it ends yes. with someone with everyone gathered around and says, this is how it was done. Yeah. I think it's called, is it the exposition? Is yeah, that what it's yeah, called? Yeah. So, and I think in this, it's to explain, to make it really, really crystal clear what happened. And maybe in response to the Hayes Code, because apparently... Uh, Alfred Hitchcock's, Hitchcock himself didn't like this scene, but felt obliged to put it in right. to explain what had happened, because it would have been really good if it ended without that scene and just... Oh, I see. With, without any of the backstory and explanation. Because, did you really need the backstory? I enjoyed it, knowing a bit more, but yeah. it's so nosy. <clears throat> yeah, well... Oh, you are. <laughs> nosy Nora. <laughs> so, the, the only additional things that we find out that we didn't already know, or that we couldn't have kind of ascertained with a little bit of creative guesswork, yeah. is that he killed his mother and his... Uh, mother's lover. His mother's lover. And the fact that he uh, had split personalities, which isn't... Yeah. It, they don't use split personalities, but they also don't use dissociative identity disorder, because I yeah. don't think that would have been named as such at the time. No. Um, but it's. I feel like that whole last scene is basically saying... Um, their way of saying he definitely isn't a transvestite <laughs> um, yeah. because that's very much what the and he's saying no no he's not a transvestite he he is his mother like he yeah that's probably the main bit I feel like there's like there's other stuff in it that's useful like well maybe not actually yeah I think I think if that scene was gone and the next scene that we saw after that was him sat in the cell which is how it ends he asks for a blanket and we hear the mother's voice uh, yeah. speaking over the top. And it sounds like the mother wants them, wants the police to think that it was him and not her. Yeah. So he's still thinking as his mother. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which, which is the thing that stops this from being a film about a trans man who murders. Yeah. Because he, he doesn't, it's not that he identifies as woman. It's that he believes that he is his mother, which is a completely different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then it ends with him kind of like staring at the camera in quite a sort of uh, creepy yeah. way. And then it kind of fades out to show his face kind of superimposed with the mother's face very briefly. Oh, um, did you not see that? Like the skull face. Yeah. And then uh, and then we see the car being pulled up out of the sludge yeah. as the uh, as the credits begin to roll. You do. Let's talk about representation. Yeah. Um. So women. Um. Don't think it's particularly good for women, is it? Well, no. Well, well, this is quite like strong, kind of cool character, and actually, I mean, like her like stealing all the money is quite cool. It is, and also she, I guess, in terms of like the morality of the time, she also it's like a bit of a badass. But she realised. Oh, excuse me. But she realised. Sorry. 
Um, we, we're doing this in a heat wave. Yeah. Uh, you have to forgive us. We're, we're a little uh, out of sorts. <laughs> and burpy. Um, All the seven dwarfs. <laughs> yeah, stinky, disgusting, <laughs> sweltering. <laughs> and burpy. Um, um, and uh, demented. Um... The, uh, yeah, so she, um, yeah, she, uh, she has a kind of her own little redeeming arc. And I've read actually that her, um, that the shower is supposed to represent, and like her kind of glee in the shower is supposed to represent her like kind of cleansing. Oh, uh, like washing away the guilt. Yeah. And, um, I see, and that's probably why she's so ecstatic. Yeah. And the, um, so the, her change from a white bra to a black bra and then, from keeping the money in a white bag to a black bag is supposed to signify her going from purity to kind of darkness. Right. Um, and then at the end, she's kind of cleansing. She's about to make the right decision. Um, yeah. And then she's murdered. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think this passes the Bechdel test though. No. Because, so we do, the only conversation we see between women um, really is her, is Marion and her colleague at the beginning. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I wonder actually with the Bechdel test whether it counts if there's, like, a mixture of men and women together. Well, they do have a conversation without the men. Yeah, but... no, I was just thinking about the, the sheriff's wife, um, but that doesn't really, it's not like... Uh... Yeah, she, like, and I'm not sure her or the colleague have a name either, actually. No. Um, so yeah, it's not... It's not. It's not great for women. No. Um, it's even worse for people of color. Um, yes. It's it's a completely white film. It is. Um, but again, this might be due to the Hayes Code. Oh yeah. Um, or it might be to do with just, just racism. racism. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, uh, queer representation. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, don't. Yeah. It's not. Well, it depends whether you're doing, like, queer in the queer theory sort of way, or queer as in, like, LGBT representation. Um, yeah, I mean, like, him dressing up as his mother isn't really positive representation. <laughs> but is it any kind of representation? Because it's actually just a, uh, it's a, it's a kind of symptom of his, or a manifestation of his uh, illness. His mental illness. Um, yes. rather than but maybe that does then imply that people who yeah. who uh, are trans are inherently mentally ill or evil so yeah. I, I don't know and also yeah the fact that he is dressing up as a woman to kill people um, does feed into that kind of murderous uh, trans yeah. narrative <laughs> um, I I wonder if it's a more interesting film to read him as gay. Right. Um, and I don't know if I just wanted to read him as gay because I fancy him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but it, it's really, really interesting because I don't think you... It's not super noticeable how kind of like fey and like kind of soft he is until he's com- contrasted with Sam. Yeah. Who is like kind of like a brutish beefcake. Yeah. Who kind of uses his fists instead of his words and um and kind of is 
like physically quite imposing compared to yeah. uh, him, who's kind of like a little beanpole. And there's also kind of like weird close-up pictures, like uh, images of like his face and his eyelashes definitely look like they put some kind of mascara on him or something to accentuate yeah, for sure. his like eyelashiness and his like doe-eyed kind of like coquettish feminine nature. Um, yeah. Because I, I mean, I, I'm also wondering whether part of the reason to cast someone who was very kind of like beautiful and young was because maybe Hitchcock felt that he'd make a more convincing woman rather than because he wanted him to be more sympathetic. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that. Because, I mean, you don't need to think of that in the context of the film because any time you see him before the big reveal, it's just all in shadow and you don't really see him. Um, Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Um, I guess we'll never know. No. Um, so I think maybe it's interesting to think about disability in this context because essentially we're introduced to two people superficially who potentially have disabilities. I'm not sure if uh, a mental disorder like disassociative identity disorder counts as a disability. It probably does. Yeah, I think mental illness is cancelled on disability. Um, so, we've got that, and in which case this is a dreadful portrayal, because... Yes. Um, and also, the uh, the character that it was based on, Ed Gein, <laughs> um, was, uh, uh, was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Right. And, you know, it's very well documented that schizophrenic people and people with dissociative identity disorder aren't all murderers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But it just thinks... I feel like the... um, I feel like maybe the legacy of this film is more around the idea of this kind of split personality thing rather than around uh, the kind of murderous cross-dresser thing. Because I'm thinking about... I feel like I've seen... I'm sure there are loads of examples. The only examples I can think of off the top of my head is the the character from Split, that M. Night Shyamalan... Um... He has identi- uh, dissociative identity disorder, and there was also a recent episode of Inside Number Nine where someone had dissociative identity disorder and was on death row for yeah, and was murderous and that um, sort of thing. Actually, I think um, really the first portrayal I've seen this one is actually quite good. Maybe we should watch it sometime. Um, uh, of split personality, as they used to call it, was um, the Three Phases of Eve, and that's a 1957 film um, ah. with a woman who has uh, distinct personalities that kind of appear. Um, and the, apparently, it started. Uh, it's based on a real woman, a case of a real woman who had a, um, and it started in her because she was forced to kiss the corpse of one of her relatives at a, a funeral. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> it, what is that? What happened in real life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh wow! Like um, a little girl, she was like. So, to... does dissociative identity disorder then come from trauma? Uh, yeah, it's like a, it's a well, like it's like a split to escape the reality of uh, sort of trauma, essentially, so that you create a new personality that can deal with or isn't associated with the original. Which trauma. I guess Norman Bates has done in this. Yeah. Um, the um. Yeah, and then I guess aside from that more obvious example, then the other example is the is the the mother, as we were first introduced to her, and the use of the word invalid, which probably wouldn't be used now. No. <laughs> um, um, <clears throat> and 
yeah, we'll, I mean, I mean, it's, it's not a positive portrayal no, of either no, of them no, because, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, as far as representation goes, this film is yeah, pretty bad, pretty all bad around. all around. <laughs> um, but also, it's a product of its time. Yes. Um, so yes, not not great on representation. No, no. Um, the shall we do the awards? Sure thing. Well, that was one of our that most beautiful, yeah, weirdest one. <laughs> haunting. Um, so, who was your best character? Uh, my favourite character was the gossipy sheriff's uh, wife, um, and my favorite one of my favourite things she says is um, when she's talking about helping with the funeral arrangements. <laughs> Um, she's like, what did she say? She says, um, I'm helping out the dress. Periwinkle blue. (laughs) (laughs) Um, she actually, one of her lines was one of my lols moments, but my favourite character was the sad rabbit, stuffed rabbit on the little child's bed in the bedroom. Yes. That was my favourite character. I actually realised that was also my most hilarious line. Was, was that it? One about spo- the spoiler blue. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, I, so, well, I have two lols moments. Oh, yeah. So one of them was when she was, like... Because that same character, she was so, like, kind of... Uh, like kind of joyously positive, even though everything that everyone was talking about was really bleak. <laughs> yes. And she wanted them to come back uh, for dinner after they'd been at church. Oh, yeah. And uh, and she was and they, the her husband was saying you should report this to the police as a missing person case and as theft, and it'll yeah. be dealt with more. And she says, "Well, you can come and have dinner and do the reporting there. That'll make it nicer." Yeah. <laughs> But I also really liked it when her colleague, who's another good character, oh, yeah. she had some good lines at the beginning, where she was just like, he was flirting with you. He must have seen my wedding ring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you have for spoopiest moment? Well, I had like a bit where I was like, eep, um, which isn't spoopy. It was the bit where like um, the sister is in the house snooping and Norman's running up the stairs like towards the house. I was like, oh ah! yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not spoopy, but it was like I was like, oh Norman. Yeah, I, th- I think with like a lot of old films, it's difficult to know what is scary and what's not because we're watching it through very jaded eyes yeah. of people who've seen much more shocking horrors since then. Yeah, and also we're kind of conditioned to be used to like jump scares. Yeah. Um, because I imagine the reveal of the corpse would have been quite shocking in those days. Yeah. Um, I guess also one of the... The bit where... The bit where the... Uh, I was going to say... What's his name? Flabbergast. Abagast. <laughs> yes, Abagast. Uh, when Abagast walks up the stairs um, and uh, Norman, as the mother, bursts out of the bedroom with oh. the knife. Like, that reminded me a little bit of the scene in The Exorcist 3... Oh, right. Where the nun comes, but like, so I mean, like th- that suddenly, is scarier. Yeah, yeah. But it had the same, maybe that would have been quite a jumpy moment. Yeah. Uh, where, like, on original viewing. Yeah. Um, best death seems uh, like. It has to be the shower death. Yeah. No, it's there's, iconic. There's no other. It's just beautiful. Yeah, it really is. Um, and then the worst death, I guess, by proxy. Yes. Because it's the only other death we see, isn't it? It is. Is the. Oh, excuse, I'm sorry. It's so hot. <laughs> so hot and sneezy. <laughs> I feel like I'm coming undone. <laughs> oh, I'm um, uh, the worst death, I guess, by proxy, is the um, sweat in your eye, babe. <laughs> 
<laughs> how I'm on fire <laughs> um, is the is flabbergasted. Yeah, uh, toppling. I did like that death though, but know, compared it, it, to the other one, it looks a bit silly. And um, the kind of way that he flies down the stairs, I'm sure it's meant to be like some kind of like way of doing. Because I know that they, in the remake of the the as I say, Poltergeist, uh, the Psycho, they actually recreated that. The way that he fell down the stairs is exactly the same. Um, like in terms of the way that it's like weird, like flying. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess it's like an important scene. Yeah, I can I just like the kind of that it kind of stays on his face, and you're only really seeing his reaction to it. Yeah. Um, which I really like. I think it, that like it's another example of a creative way around not showing the person doing the killing. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is interesting if we think back to Sleepaway Camp, where they never show the person that's doing the killing, and we only ever see the aftermath. Oh, I guess yeah. that's another way around it. But um. Uh, what do you think is the queerest moment? Well, I'm gonna just rule out Norman and Dress. Um, but well, and I'm I'm putting a queer reading on this because I actually thought it was like kind of hot. Was when Sam is in the office with uh, Norman, like questioning him. I think it's a kind of weird, like sexy, flirty way, and I don't know whether it's because Sam's a bit of a flat actor um, against Norman, who's mm. a bit kind of like flancier. But it's just like, just say, like, like, you're alone here, aren't you? Must drive you crazy. You'd do anything to get away, wouldn't you? Um, And he's like leaning into the counter and his hand's like all the way across the counter, like near Norman. I don't know, just say, well, yeah. But also, I think like as kind of fellow femmes, like I feel like that's how straight men try and intimidate. uh, Like kind of femme like people who appear to be men yeah well also the only way they know how to interact um with someone who's yeah like Like pretty is to be like yeah and also i feel like anyone who's had any sort of homophobia or transphobia knows how closely violence and like lust are are kind of linked um yeah i didn't really have a queerest moment i think there are some very kind of camp moments um and i think norman bates in general as a character not in his mother's clothes but out of it is kind of a queer moment in in and of itself i think especially thinking about kind of some tropes around like gay men which is like uh kind of uh unhealthily attached to their mother (laughs) um a loner um, yeah. kind of an, a very unusual hobby. You know, like, yeah. he's got these kind of... And then there's also his kind of, like, uh, fairness and his kind of, like, softness and the way he walks up the stairs, you know, kind yeah. of wiggling his hips. And his little sandwiches with the nil. <laughs> yeah, his little milky sandwiches, his little beautiful dimples <laughs> and his, his twitching fox molder. <laughs> um, so this seems like a silly uh, last yes. award to mention given how emphatic we've been about our love for him. <laughs> But who is the sexiest character, question mark? No, man. No, man. When I started watching, I was, I'd was i actually forgotten all about Sam in terms of what he looked like. And I was like, oh, maybe Sam's going to be the sexiest character. But yeah, when Norman arrives, you're like, oh, Yeah. I, th- I think it's really refreshing in a way to see a film, especially an old film, where we see someone who is kind of like, like a man who isn't like crushingly masculine yeah. and he is presented as a very sympathetic character almost all th- yeah. throughout but especially in that first meeting with uh, Marion he's like adorable yeah. like he's so soft and gentle like a little bit creepy maybe just yeah. because he's weird and he spends a lot of time on his own but he um 
Yeah. But like he's just he's very like pretty and soft and you never really see that. I think he's, yeah, I think he seems quite charismatic in a way as well, even though he's quite awkward. He has like a his little cute smile and laugh. Yeah. So yeah, it's quite infectious. Um but now I'm thinking actually as well, given the time, um maybe it was the kind of case of that queer coding the villain sort of vibe where it's like making the creepy weirdo like the killer essentially. Yeah. Um, but, but I think also he kind of breaks that mold a little bit because he's not like he's not like faggy is he he's and he's not like camp he's just a bit soft which i mean it's the same sort of thing i wonder though the time whether people would have found that jarring you know like and thought yeah he's not a real man especially because there's a bit where is it with is it flabbergast that says it that says um (laughs) that says I'm not meaning to question your manhood or something, oh, yeah, as yeah, if he's yeah. being quite defensive. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I guess. But 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 it is all also stated at the end in that weird kind of exposition with the psychiatrist that he was attracted to her, which is why the mother was jealous in inverted yeah. commas. So it's he, he might be queer coded, but for all intents and purposes, he's presented as a straight man. I mean, that's always the way, though, in like, the old, olden days. Like, although they're just queer-coded, they're not actually queer. Yeah, but I think the queer-coded characters are often kind of, like, asexual-seeming. Like, right, not right. necessarily... Um, they're, they're kind of seen as, like, sexless, almost. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, like, there is chemistry between him and Marion. Like, you can feel it. Oh, you can feel it. Oh, you can feel it in your fox molder. Feel it in your fingers, feel it in your bones. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's the awards. Well done to all of the winners. Yes, congratulations. Um, uh, how many pumpkins uh, are you going to... <laughs> um, uh, ooh, interesting. I think... The, the, the problem is uh, becoming with our, our, our system that all the films we're watching are really good. Um, so. <laughs> well, but also, I feel like we shouldn't feel like we're horror fans. Of course we love all the films. But, like, that's, what, that's why we watch them all. Um, so I think I'm going to give it a four pumpkins, actually. I think I'm going to give it a four and a half. Is it? I know. I didn't think I'd be more generous than you, but... You I, are. I am. Apart from Sleepaway Well, you can't get any really less generous than four and a half except for five. <laughs> any less generous? Well, I mean, like, you saying, oh, I didn't know you'd be so stingy. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's, it's just such an iconic film. And I think, I think sometimes, like, when you watch really iconic horror films, especially because horror, horror as a genre dates worse than most genres, I think. That's um, true. I think... Sometimes you rewatch a classic and you're just like, it's not as good as I remember it being. No, no, you're right, but you're like right. Psycho stands up, like it's a brilliant film. No, it's you're right. such a good film. I think it's almost a five pumpkin for me. I'd say the biggest downfall. Obviously, it's it's not a film that you know is waving the flag for any minorities, is it? No. But. For me, the biggest downside is that exposition scene at the end. I think it kind of really takes you out of it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we don't need this explained to us. Like, I, I've kind of understood enough. Right, yeah. um, And I think that stops it from being, like, an absolutely mwah film. Mwah. But yeah, Four and a Half Pumpkins ain't bad. It ain't bad. Time for Spooky Spooky <laughs> Um, so, um, 
time I thought it was only fitting that I'd find some kind of spoopy motel story. Mm-hmm. Um, originally, I was going to talk about Ed Gein, but that seemed too on the nose. Um, so instead, for uh, this episode, I found um, lonely women have been visiting this Florida motel to meet the orgasm ghost. <gasps> oh, was it Norman Bates? <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> um, so, um, I've never heard of this website, but according to this website, Backpackerverse, um, they've been contacted by dozens of women with reports about their sexy ghost experience in this particular room in the Amber Tides Motel in Clearwater Beach, Florida. Uh, my favourite bit on this article as well is that they've obviously been contacted by the motel to say, can you also say that it's a lovely place to stay? Because <laughs> um, a little correction straight after. Be like, and it's also very close to the beach and has lovely amenities. <laughs> I, you had me at sexy ghost. <laughs> Um, so, anyway, so the website um, decided to follow up with the original report from a woman called Diana, but that's not actually her name because uh, they don't want uh, her husband to find out what she's been up to. Um, Infidelity. So, the rest is now told from the perspective of Diana, aka whoever. Um, so aka a- adulteress. Yes. <laughs> Ghost adulteress. Um, I'm going to try and do this in an accent, but I might stop halfway through depending okay. on how exhausting sure. it is. I'm so embarrassed, but I need to share this story. My husband is always away at work, and when he's home, he's thinking about work. My libido has been going crazy. <laughs> I love Diana. <laughs> I guess I'm just at that age. Diana says in a shy, nervous voice. <laughs> she, doesn't, she sounds quite bold. <laughs> Basically, one of my girlfriends told me about this motel. She's very much like, I needed a break from the plantation. <laughs> Away a secret identity. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, I think she was literally a slave owner going <laughs> to get her fucking jollies off in a motel. Actually, I'm not sure there was an overlap between motels and the slave trade in the US, but yeah. who knows. Um, uh, anyway, so basically, one of my girlfriends told me about this motel in Florida called Amatize, and I needed a little bit of a vacation, anyways. So, of course, I stayed there. <laughs> <laughs> she told me there was a certain that was haunted. I'm into that shit, so I figured, why not? <laughs> but it's not haunted by a normal ghost. No, no ma'am. <laughs> it's haunted by some kind of intense, overpowering sexual energy. <laughs> Diana whispered coyly. <laughs> um... I had a few glasses of wine and I'm now way to the room. I even ordered one of those sleazy videos on the TV. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just calm yourself right down because I'm not going into any details. But let's just say my hands started wondering. 
Is, is this just an elaborate way of saying she had a wag pie she was watching some porn in a motel? <laughs> well, <laughs> ma'am, I do think thou dost protest too much. <laughs> the lads went out on their own and I could feel the bits starting to tremble. The bits? The bed. The oh. bits. <laughs> the bed. Oh, the bed. <laughs> um, but it wasn't like a shake or a vibration like those cone-operated beds. It was more like the bed was breathing. It was in sync with me. I started to feel things I have never felt before. <laughs> it was kind of like I was being softly caressed by a thousand hands. But it was like my entire body became so sensitive to the touch. It was like my body was being pleased. <laughs> it was so overwhelming. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yes, otherwise your accent has yeah, been very you, consistent up you. to this point. This isn't some kind of metaphor you're reading a filthy romance novel. It literally felt like there were hands all over my body. And no matter where they touched, I felt waves of pleasure. You know, like when you're with a guy who just really knows what he's doing in that one spot. Multiplied by your entire body. That's what I was feeling. <laughs> I love that she said she wasn't going to go into detail. <laughs> I thought another thing. Um, suddenly I heard lightning outside and it started pouring rain. I was so into the moment. It felt like I sunk into the bed and I was surrounded by nothing but pure pleasure. I tried to open my eyes to get back to reality, but I couldn't. I wasn't even a human entity anymore. I was in another world. <laughs> I lost control of my senses. The storm raged on. And I swear to God, I heard someone whisper in my ear, but I don't know what they said. You're starting to sound like an evangelical preacher. <laughs> I swear to God. <laughs> anyway, it didn't matter. It put me over the edge. I felt like I was tied to the bed by energy, completely submissive. I'm a control freak, but I wasn't afraid. I just went with it. It felt right. And then it just stopped. Now I was able to see again. My senses were returning as I lay in the bed, completely exhausted and honestly a little afraid of what just happened. I hate not being in completely control. Uh, control. It's rare for me to even have a few glasses of wine. <laughs> but it was okay. I never felt anything close to like that in my life. Oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, I guess my friends weren't lying, right? There's something about that room. I had to promise not to tell which room it was, because it's already been spreading by word of mouth. <laughs> as soon as any woman hears about this experience, she wants it for herself. And the crazy thing is that my friend and I had the same time there. I <laughs> said the woman who told her about it. I slept like a log that night. <laughs> I bet she did. <laughs> All them thousand fingers poking and prodding at her. Oh my God. <laughs> I haven't got such a peaceful rest uh, ever. <laughs> On my way out the next morning, I noticed the housekeeper looking at me with that no one look on her face. 
She knew exactly what happened and shot me a grin. She seemed eager to get into the room. <sighs> so that that's uh, Diana. She's gone now, uh, but she was there. I felt like she I, she, she, I, I wasn't even a human entity, anymore. <laughs> and she was touching me with her a thousand fingers. <laughs> Thanks for taking us there. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite exhausting. Uh, I, I, I'm going to sleep like a long time. <laughs> So essentially, this is just a room that a series of very sexually unsatisfied Southern Bells <laughs> queue up to to go for a nice relaxing wank, wank. Yeah. a glass of wine, <laughs> a, a, a poorly VHS. <laughs> and yeah, the, the hands will start to wander. <laughs> this is called the Masturbator Hotel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know it. Yes. Um, but yeah, so who knows whether people still go there and have lady wanks, but um, Crowley is quite experienced. <laughs> Seems so. I might book in. <laughs> Every room. <laughs> <laughs> If you're enjoying Bloody Marys, please subscribe, leave a review and share with your friends.